Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park eerily quiet and then my mind was kind of like you know the head in the fishbowl but it takes me into the bathroom and says this is how you brush your teeth brush rinse repeat brush rinse repeat brush rinse repeat but there were two girls and it was like you don't have to give us a ride you can't fill us no you can't refuse he'll let us in his car thoughts were all alone in this empty void you know the head in the they got close enough where he said he could see, you know, their eyes and, and how intelligent they seem. This doesn't look right. These gremlin-type creatures. This doesn't look right. No pupils, no iris. Three fingers. Three long fingers. And this is when the mental torture and then, and then it was eerily all right, everybody. Welcome back to Conspire Normal. We are broadcasting to you from the pile of rubble that used to be my studio. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It is, uh, we, we don't have a ceiling anymore. No, we don't. What we do, it's just, it's not up where it should be. It's, it's kind of like a roof and with just like insulation hanging and wires and yeah, it's a mess. Right. You would see, you've got this project going on to, to improve this place. And I might have gotten in over my head. <laughs> <laughs> well, quite literally, right? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So, I don't know. Not as much. I mean, I was in here yesterday hoping you'd tear the ceiling down, right? Which was which was kind of fun, you know, ripping the ceiling apart. Yeah, yeah, that part went well. It's the putting it back together that's a challenge. And then you were, uh, then you were installing the wiring yesterday. Yep. So, wiring's all set. Yeah, I think you're getting ready for your St. Patrick's Day party, right? Yeah, I have a deadline. I have five days to finish this project before my girlfriend kills me. Oh, yeah. The wrath of Alyssa. Yeah. <laughs> it's no joke. It's true. It isn't. It isn't any joke. I, I've been on the receiving end a few times. <laughs> I used to work with her, man. I know how it is. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, tonight, guys, we have uh, Chris Wolford coming on. Uh, we're going to talk to Chris about some of his further UFO studies. We had him back on. We had him on back in, I think it was, was it November? Or it might have, yeah, I think it was November we had him on. Was that that long ago? Yeah, I think so. And uh, we had him on with a, it's kind of like a split show with him and Rita Louise. Oh, and, yes. Uh, we've got him coming back on tonight for kind of like a full interview. So we're happy to have him on again. Um, I just wanted to talk a little bit about the Vault 7 stuff. Have you heard about this, Rob? I have. I don't... Um I was watching updates as like, you know, the, um, the release was 
was coming up. Mm-hmm. And then I briefly got kind of an overview of, of what it was, but I, I don't, I haven't delved too deep into it. Right. It's like, it's a, um, kind of details how in depth the, um, NSA and other intelligence agencies have been watching us even deeper than yeah, what we knew. It's mostly the CIA. Okay. Uh, this was, well, I think it, I think it's all the CIA actually, because it was, uh, it was a, supposedly a hack into the CIA computers and what they know. Uh, this is, of course, this is WikiLeaks that put this mm, out right. not too long ago. And uh, there's some interesting stuff in here that has that has come out. Um, I want to read this. Uh, this is a list. This is the best that I could find from, well, unfortunately, MiloYiannopoulos.net. But uh, I think this is a good list of exactly what... Uh, is going on here. Uh, one, the CIA can masquerade its malware as belonging to a foreign intelligence agency. Two, the CIA stole hacking malware from the Russian Federation for their own use. That's interesting. Three, the CIA is hacking everyone, including U.S. citizens. Four, every microphone and webcam is remote controllable. Five, the CIA's exploits have been leaked internally and can be used by unauthorized people to gain access to virtually anything. Six, CIA malware can infiltrate iPhones, Androids, Windows phones, and even your smart TV. Seven, the U.S. consulate in Frankfurt is a covert CIA hacker base. Eight, the CIA created air gap jumping viruses that infect CDs, DVDs, flash drives, etc., Nine, the CIA created malware that specifically evaded certain antivirus programs. Ten, the CIA can hack cars for undetectable assassinations. Eleven, CIA malware can infiltrate your Mac OS and Windows computers. Twelve, CIA malware infiltrates your smartphone to read messages on encrypted apps before you send them. Thirteen, CIA malware can infiltrate Linux and routers. 14, the CIA was supposed to reveal major vulnerabilities, but instead hoarded them for their own use. 15, Notepad++, a popular text editor, has a DLL hijack. 16, the CIA steals saved passwords from Internet Explorer. 17, CIA can bypass Windows user account control. 18, CIA has Android malware that makes Android phones bulk spy on Wi-Fi networks around them. So that's a lot of stuff in that little list there. It is. Uh, two things. Well, the the one that caught me was, wasn't there a big deal a couple of years ago about Apple refusing to put a backdoor into their devices specifically I, to allow this stuff? But then it's now coming out that the CIA had ways to do it anyway. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. A lot of the stuff, uh, some, that may have been some of the fallout from the Edward Snowden revelations. You know, Apple was a part of that. Uh-huh. That was, of course, that was that was, of course, mostly the the NSA on that one and what they were doing. Two things that were interesting here to me: CIA malware can infiltrate iPhones, Androids, Windows phones, and even your smart TV. They've been talking about how Samsung apparently had some kind of backdoor that was built in to where the TV could actually spy on you even when it was off. Right. <laughs> well, that was a big deal when, um, with the, like all the Xbox consoles, 
Uh-huh. When Kinect came out, people showed that you could use it to spy. And then when the new console came out, it always has to be online. It's always on. Um, its camera can just come on and do whatever it wants whenever it wants. Um, and, and, you know, if you if you put some kind of malware in there, you can completely control it because it's always on and it's always connected and it's always streaming. It's always just right there in your living room. Jeez. And the TV, and the, I guess this is mostly the smart TVs, right? That this is, that they're talking about with the CIA stuff. Yeah, it'd have to be because it'd have to be running apps. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if it's, doesn't matter if it's on or not. I and mean, that's crazy. Yeah. I mean, that's straight out of 1984. Yep. I mean, that's the things that they, that George Orwell wrote about in there where the TV could see, not only could you watch TV, but the TV could see everything that you were doing, right? Yeah, man- uh, mandatory viewing is next. Right, yeah, yeah, exactly. Other other one, number 10 here, the CIA can hack cars for undetectable assassinations, quote unquote. This one's very interesting because in 2013, and I remember I remember when this happened uh, with Michael Hastings. Do you remember this? Mm-hmm. Michael Hastings was a reporter that was writing, he'd been very critical about the Obama administration and about some of the, uh, some of the things that were being done. And he was actually writing about the CIA and he was writing about uh, General McChrystal in Afghanistan. And I want to pull something up here uh, about this, but he had been, of course, he died in a car accident. His car went, he, apparently his car went off the road and he was killed. Mm-hmm. And in the Vault 7, the Vault 7 documents, the CIA admitting that they were, that they could hack into car computers, into a car's computer and crash it or take over the car. This is kind of like shades of the stuff that like Rebecca Roth talked about, right? Right. With like the taking over the airplanes, uh, this is from Heavy.com. This is uh, WikiLeaks Vault Seven conspiracy. Michael Hastings assassinated by CIA remote car hack? Question mark. It was revealed today by the WikiLeaks Vault Seven leak that the Central Intelligence Agency may have car hacking capabilities, leading online conspiracists to further the claims that journalist Michael Hastings was murdered by the CIA. Hastings died on June 18, 2013 in a fiery high-speed automobile crash in his Mercedes C250 coupe following the publications of Why Democrats Love to Spy on Americans on BuzzFeed. Hastings had been a vocal critic of the Obama administration following his death, former U.S. National Coordinator for Security Infrastructure Protection and Counterterrorism, Richard A. Clark. Interesting. Richard Clark is not, he's not a lightweight said that Hastings' crash was consistent with a car cyber attack. Clark told the Huffington Post, what has been revealed as a result of some research at universities is that it's relatively easy to hack your way into the control system of a car and to do such things as cause acceleration when the driver doesn't want acceleration, to throw on the brakes when the driver doesn't want the brakes on, to launch an airbag, which could kill somebody. Mm-hmm. You can do some really highly destructive things now through hacking a car, and it's not that hard. 
According to CW6 San Diego, Hastings claimed to have received a death threat prior to the crash by a staff member at the McChrystal Group about a critical passage in his book, The Operators, The Wild and Terrifying Inside Story of America's War in Afghanistan. The McChrystal Group is an advisory firm started by retired United States Army General Stanley Allen McChrystal. McChrystal's last military assignment was in Afghanistan. CW6 also reported that Hastings was investigating CIA Director John Brennan for an upcoming expose before his death, which I remember them talking about that when Hastings died. In an official synopsis of the recently leaked Vault 7, the above passage can be found, and that says, on as of October 2014, the CIA was also looking at affecting the vehicle control systems used by modern cars and trucks. The purpose of such control is not specified, but, would it, prefer, but it would permit the CIA to engage in nearly undetectable assassinations. Now, that says October 2014. Hastings was killed June 2013. But, you know, it's not too far from what <clears throat> Richard Clark said here that it was possible. So I don't think that I, it was, if it was possible, it was probably possible a year before. I mean, come on. Right. Well, I think, um, with the advent of like on star systems and all these other things where they can, you yeah. know, if you can tap into remotely unlock the car or something, you can tap in to do pretty much anything. And there's, um, certain cars are going to be more vulnerable to this type of thing than others. You know, if you've got one that will automatically parallel park for you, mm-hmm. then you've got a car mm-hmm. that the CAA can steer, you know, Right. My car has zero options whatsoever. They can hack it and change the FM station. That's about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so does mine. But another thing that I heard about Hastings was that he, he actually was, that he actually asked to, to borrow a neighbor's car. And apparently some people are saying that he actually was afraid of such a possibility. Well, well just knowing that that's a possibility, it would be. Yes. I mean, and I wouldn't made, think of that. They made a huge big deal on the police report that Hastings apparently took Ritalin as if to say that's what caused his death. So I've always thought that thing was so suspicious that here's this guy looking into all these mil- top secret military things, mm-hmm. highly critical of Obama, highly critical of the CIA, writing these expose on the CIA director, and then all of a sudden he just dies in yes, a car crash. Very convenient and timely. Yes. Yes. And we all know what kind of nefarious shit the CIA is into. All right. Well, guys, let's stop there. Uh, we're going to go to, uh, we're going to take a break here, and we will be right back with Chris Wolford on Conspiracy Normal. What if I were to tell you that the forms are not the facts? And what if I were to ask you the shape of water? Water is in a state of constant flow and flux, a paradox of weakness and strength. My name is Aaron David, and I am host of Charm the Water, a weekly podcast centering on the occult and mysticism based in Asheville, North Carolina. You can find us at charmthewater.com or iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, your favorite pod feeder. Come holler. <laughs> it's very normal. It's great to have you. Thank you for thanking you guys for having me. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. 
So we were just talking about the Vault 7 stuff, and I know that you follow a lot of this material, Mm -hmm. Uh, some of it related to UFOs, and of course some of it not, kind of like we do. Yeah. But uh, I just wanted to get your thoughts on that, if you have any any thoughts about uh, some of these revelations that WikiLeaks put out. Yeah, um, it's pretty troubling. It's, for me personally, um, I kind of knew that was already happening. I didn't know to what extent. I didn't know it was bigger than the NSA. Um, but um, it's it's very, 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 very troubling. And I hope everybody, every American sees this and gets angry and I don't know that we're going to get change out of it, Yeah, but at least be aware that this is happening. This is done in your, in your name, but with your tax dollar. And it's not, that gun is not pointed towards terrorists because if we would have pointed that gun towards terrorists, we could have ended the war on terror a long time ago. And obviously that's for spying on Americans domestically and probably for political either gain whether it be in Washington or geopolitically. And that's very, very scary stuff. Yeah, when, so. you, when you talk about televisions being able to spy on people, even when they're off, that's very unsettling. And that, to me, just makes me think, well, it's not just about the terrorists. It's about spying on, well, everybody, honestly. For sure. I mean, if if you had unlimited funds and you knew that you can get away with it, you're going to do it because they've gotten away with it for pretty much a very long time. I, I don't know how long this has been going on, but I mean, we've heard about Echelon in the 90s and early 2000s, and then the you had the Patriot Act, and then the Snowden leaks in 2013. Um, this is on a whole nother level because they can do cyber false flags so they can leave it, uh, leave a hack, make it look like China did it or Russia did it or North Korea did Mm -hmm, it. mm -hmm. And that in itself throws this whole Russian crampola. Not that I'm a Trump supporter because I'm not, I'm either for or against them. I'm just kind of like, I'm tired of everybody in Washington, DC, but that should stop people and say, Hey, Hmm. If they have the ability to do that, then hmm, maybe this Russian narrative is total BS. You know, maybe again, I, I know you guys had did a show about the deep state. This is showing, without a shadow of doubt, that your elected officials do nothing for you because mm-hmm. they are not in control. Mm-hmm. Uh, that again is scary. I mean, I guess this is also an opportunity for Americans to see how, I guess, um, the true centers of power work. You know, they think that they go to the voting booth and they, they're going to get a representative and somebody to do something for them. There's nobody that cares for you. The only person that cares for you is yourself or your family, pretty much. I mean, not to say that I don't trust other Americans, I do, but it, it's showing that on the level, our government has been hijacked. And the, the real question is, for how long has this been pervasive? is the question I'd be asking. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, apparently, it, it, it's probably been, for at least in the context of the Vault 7, 
I'd say it's been at least been the last few years. I mean, they're always yeah. trying to push this envelope, right? They're always trying to push things a little bit further, trying to get away with all these different things. They get caught on one thing and then they say, oh, okay, well then, you know, they kind of apologize for it or deny it. And then they'll, then the, the Fuhrer will die down a little bit and then mm-hmm. do you go on to the next thing? And that, that seems to be how it is. That's because they have us distracted with 9 million other things. That's the scary yeah, part is yeah. you can never get the people stay on the ball. Uh, the the focus, you know, when Snowden came out, people were like outraged, but then it's like, yeah, whatever. I, I right. hear all the time at my work, oh, I don't care that they're spying on me because I have nothing to hide. But mm-hmm. that's not the point. The point is they're using your tax dollars, your money that you pay to build this infrastructure. And it's not just an infrastructure of spying on people. They can assassinate people through medical devices. They show in these WikiLeaks, um, the Vault 7 stuff. They they can hack cars, planes, helicopters, mm-hmm. medical devices, uh, TVs. I'm pretty sure pretty much anything electronic they can hack and use as a, an exploit for a target. If this doesn't change, like if the public doesn't do outcry and get something changed about this, then we're going to go down this path where I would say in the next five years, the Internet's going to look dramatically different. Yeah, it's not going to be the same sites that you want to go to. You're not going to be able to go to it because they're going to be deemed either fake news or mm-hmm. they're a, uh, a f- um, uh, enemy of the state. You know, and I hate to get this crazy, this tinfoil, this Alex Jones. But you know what? Damn it. He was right. I'm not an Alex supporter in any way, shape or form. But he was right. That's uh, that's another scary thing. <laughs> well, that's another thing. Like with this uh, infrastructure put in place, it opens the doors for you know them to say something like, "Well, you know, you're no longer allowed to to speak out against Trump or to say bad words against Trump," and they'll know. You know, they're already going to okay. be able to to uh, to implement any kind of laws that they want to, to to go ahead and enforce it. Exactly. I mean, it's already happening on YouTube. That's why the content, when you go to the front page of YouTube, is all garbage. It's stupid stuff. If you want <laughs> real content, you gotta you gotta search for it. You know, that's not by uh, by uh, fault. That is by design. Yeah. Um, same thing with search engines. You know, you try to search for something, and like you said, Rob, maybe uh, Comcast here or Charter, maybe in Tennessee. They decide, mm, no, I don't think so. You don't get to look at that. Or we'll push it so far down that you're going to just give up because it'll be on the like 10th page or whatever. Right. So, yeah, it's it's scary stuff. The, the thing that scares me is the stuff that you can hack and kill people with, the targeted assassination. Yeah. So this brings into question Michael Hastings. Yeah. Was he targeted, assassinated? I don't know. I mean, he, he one of the things that had come out from um, Alex's jo- Alex Jones, excuse me, his reporter Joe Biggs, when it all broke out in 2013, is he was meeting with WikiLeaks before his car all of a sudden went crazy and hit a tree. He was supposed to be meeting somebody with WikiLeaks, so that's interesting. Um, he also, mm-hmm. and I, I haven't been be able to verify this, but I did hear that somebody had said that. He went to his neighbors and said, can I please use your car? Because I've, I'm, I'm, I'm in fear of using yeah. my car because it may have been compromised. 
So that would lead you to think that maybe he had seen these leaks and that WikiLeaks was sitting on them for this long period of time. Now, the question is, why did they sit on them for this long? I don't know. So, yeah. Or, and here's another thought, and uh, people, one of my coworkers mentioned, what if this is nothing more than the NSA and the CIA showing their capabilities, and they don't care because they know nothing's going to happen to them, and this is the way it's going to be, and there's not a damn thing you can do about it. It kind of makes sense with the NSA because, you know, they were collecting all your data. And on the CIA is showing that they can hack into your, basically your home and listen to you at any time or watch you or whatever, what have you. And really, yeah, it's been on the news, but the news is trying to say it was Russia again. So yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah there, I, was I, a, there was a, uh, Assange gave a, a uh, briefing, like a, mm-hmm. um, press conference yes and someone asked him like from abc news like are you a member of the russian government is wikileaks and he says look you know we're dealing with some serious stuff here with these revelations out of vault seven and all the media can do in the united states is talk about how uh WikiLeaks is a part of the Russian government and we still have the whole Russian hacking thing like that like our media cannot get off this the even memes. though in vault <laughs> 7 even though you know I read this I read this uh, little like list here of 13 of 18 points even though the CIA stole it says the CIA stole hacking malware from the Russian Foundation for their own use and then mm-hmm. it says the CIA can masquerade its malware as belonging to a foreign intelligence agency. Exactly. Even though that's part of the revelations, that's still masked there. So you don't know who the hell it is. It's actually doing it. It could well, be all the CIA for all we know. Exactly. And I would encourage everybody, and you know, you would have to go to, you can either order it on Amazon or go to, go to an actual bookstore and buy this book. It's called Spooked. It's about the CIA's uh, exploit of the Hollywood uh, Hollywood scene and yeah. the mass media and how they control it. And actually, a UFO researcher, Robbie Graham, though it doesn't talk about UFOs in that book, it does mention one of his articles that Chase Brandon, I don't know if you're familiar with him, he's a CIA agent that said that he found something at the CIA, um, I don't know, uh, Lane Lee, the headquarters. He said he found a, a file cabinet with files regarding Roswell. That same guy, Chase Brandon, gave veiled threats to Robbie Graham, because I've talked to Robbie a few times about this. He says that whole time when he was writing stuff for The Guardian about the CIA manipulating Hollywood, that Chase Brandon, because he was their liaison to Hollywood, Chase Brandon was, that he would write or call uh, Robbie Graham and basically say a lot of innuendo of, if you keep writing bad pieces on us, Things will happen to you, your family, or what have you. So it got pretty hairy for a while. He never did, nothing did happen to Robbie, but that is worth noting that here's a guy who is making threats to a journalist because he's writing something that's negative about the CIA. Even though at that point, I think he was retired. Chase Brandon was retired. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. There's the CIA, I, I, who knows how far this rabbit hole goes down yeah i mean uh, 
you know, um, the, yeah. the the movie Argo, a lot of people will see, will look at that and say, well, you know, that was just a one-time thing. That was to get, you know, the way that movie portrays uh, the CIA in it, like that was a heroic thing to get those to get those people out that uh, were stuck in the Canadian embassy, and uh, yeah. and, and it was essentially. But they'll say like, well, that was the only time that this happened. But no, I mean, it's probably since. The beginning of the of Hollywood, probably since the beginning of the CIA, there's been that link there between, and, sure. and then also with journalism too. I mean, you know, Operation Mockingbird, all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in the book, Spooked, it mentions how um, they manipulate news stories. They they have an officer, intelligence officer, like at the Washington Post or at the New York Times, and they'll say, "Nope, you can't write about that story," or edit the story in this way so we look good or right. we um, aren't mentioned by name. So right. that's scary that they have that much power to do. And I get it. Some things do have to be secret. I get it. I'm not against secrecy, but secrecy, when it runs amok, you get into what situation we have right now, and it's mm-hmm. not good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And WikiLeaks is sitting there just revealing this information and of course, they're being reviled for it because this. Well, you know who's in charge? <laughs> exactly. You know, I heard somebody tried to say that Julian Assange was actually dead, and that was a hologram. I was like, Oh uh, yeah, God. yeah, oh, I've heard that. <laughs> well, I mean, he essentially he cannot leave that Ecuadorian embassy in London. He can't leave. I know. He better hope that guy wins that uh, that uh, presidential race so he can stay in there. Yeah, that's true. Otherwise, they're point. coming for him for sure. I'm really surprised nobody has uh, renditioned him. I'm really surprised that he has not been renditioned. Maybe the reason why he hasn't is because of the whole kill switch thing where if, or Dead Man's Fall, where if he gets killed or taken, all the stuff gets released. And yeah. God knows what will be in there. I mean, it's got to be stuff that they definitely, definitely don't want out. Just as an aside, do you remember uh, there was a documentary about the TWA? Flight uh, 800? Yeah, Flight 800. Oh, and boy, the, yes. uh, the, um You know how like people would say that they saw the missile, uh, like some yes. kind of projectile mm-hmm. coming towards the plane, and then the plane exploded and fell into yep. the ocean. And there was this uh, animation. This is like 20 years ago, so this is probably yeah, 1996, 97. Yep. There's this animation put out by the CIA where they yep. kept repeating that it's not a missile. It wasn't a missile. And they just kept repeating this. And then my thought, well, first of all, my thought was, okay, they're, they're making damn sure that nobody says that it's a missile. And second of all, what the hell is the CIA doing putting this video out how is that under their purview at all well funny you mention this and we'll only go into this a little bit but that, i mean we weren't trying to talk about this but this right. is a case that is very interesting because one of the first groups that were on scene was a delta force team that used night stalker helicopters from fort campbell kentucky where they're out of based out of why was Delta Force one of the first groups on scene for this? Oh, I haven't that heard this. Very, it, well, it was actually mentioned in the documentary about the Black Hawk helicopters that the one, it was right, right in the beginning of the documentary um, okay. where one of the investigators from the NTSB was like, why are, why is Delta Force here? Why? But nobody uh, would yeah. confirm that they were there. 
nobody. But yeah, I've heard that a few different times. And you have to remember also Brookhaven National Lab is over there too. I mean, we get totally weird and say that they were trying to shoot a UFO out of the sky. I've heard that too. And they missed they hit the plane. Now, do I believe that? I don't know. Uh, there could be some evidence pointing towards that. I don't know. Well, but, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we get really weird. I, I, I just think, I think, I think in my, well, my opinion about that particular case mm-hmm. is I think the Navy really, really screwed up because they were having war games in that area. Mm-hmm. So either the plane flew off path or the Navy somebody royally screwed up and instead of admitting to it and having to pay out millions of dollars to these families, they just got the other people in the government, other agencies Mm -hmm. like the CIA to cover Mm -hmm. it up because, you know, they're all in the big military industrial complex family. They're all, they all have dinner together. So, Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. I would agree. I mean, uh, it could also been the Navy testing one of its early, early laser weapons. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's a sad case. It's been not resolved for so many years in the families. You right. know, they were told to basically shut up. <laughs> so. Right. And it's, that's never, it's never going to be resolved. Yeah. Uh, well, let's get into DeLong because okay. we, I talked a little bit, touched on this a little bit briefly with uh, Greg Bishop last week, mm-hmm. but uh, I wanted to, well, you have some updates. So, what are some of the updates that's going on with him lately? Uh, yeah, um, I'll be honest. Uh, this book that came out Tuesday, uh, "God's Man and War," is actually pretty good. It's is this the Peter it's a, Lavenda. It's the Peter Lavenda okay. book, yeah, with the Jacques Vallee Ford, which you know I was uh, told by certain people. I'm not going to repeat their names, but uh, was told by a certain person that that, that Ford was taken out by Jacques Vallée, that he was no longer a part of the Secret Machines project. I also reached out to another UFO researcher who has been working with some of the same people, same advisors that Tom DeLong has, and he maintained, no, Jacques Vallée is still very much a part of this, this program, and that he is an integral part. And I was like, well, who do I believe, this one person, or do I believe this other person? So when the the, the forward finally was shown that it was still in the book, I was like, hmm, maybe I got bad information. Not that I don't not believe the person. They probably were telling me the truth, but maybe they got the wrong source, what have you. It doesn't matter. It's neither here nor there. Hmm. But it, again, now we're left with a big question is, is Jacques Vallée still on board? That means he thinks this is credible. And if that means he thinks it's credible, then maybe it could be. Now, again, I'll say this one last time. Not that I don't remember saying it on your show last time. I can't remember if I did or not. I don't necessarily believe that Tom DeLon is being told the absolute truth. I do yeah. not. I, I, I am agreeing with a lot of people on this. He is probably being fed this information, but with this caveat, I do think we're going to learn something this year and probably shortly about this topic, whether it be, uh, I guess, alien life. I don't really want to use that term or the topic of UFOs. I think that needle is going to be moving 
in a direction where we're going to learn something of significance here shortly. The reason why I'm saying that is because the people that I've talked to, uh, the sources I have that are connected to the DeLong camp in the, in the sense of they're using or talking to the same advisors that he is, there's movement on this topic for whatever reason. This is a good time. I don't know what that reason is. I have my own theories. I, I, if you want, I can share some, but I, sure. I, I maybe they're kind of outlandish, but this is just my thought because, um, um, we're going to learn something. I mean, if, if people have been paying attention, I know you have, you guys have, but the NASA announcement of the seven planets, uh, the, the habitable planets, that has something to do with, and no, it wasn't exactly with the Dalon stuff, but they're slowly walking people towards that that mindset of we're not alone. Then you have the Elon Musk thing, not that he's a part of it, but again, I think they know time is of the, the, the of the essence because they don't have a lot of time because he just announced that he wants to go to the far side of the moon. So they are desperately wanting to get this out. Again, I don't know what that will entail. It's going to be some kind of announcement. And some people said, oh, it's going to be his documentary. No, it's going to be something that is going to be from the government and from him. And what that is, I don't know. I wish I knew. If I did, I'd be telling you, but I don't. And I know we could play this game of, Chris, who are your sources? What do you know? Blah, 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 blah. You know, you just have to trust me. I know I don't have, like, I don't have a piece of paper to show you or anything like that. But just know that I've been pounding the pavement, talking to a lot of people. I've been chastised regularly on Facebook, which is neither here nor there because I don't try to get into it with people. I'm pretty even keel. I don't call people out, but we're going to learn something on this topic. And uh, for me personally, that's pretty exciting. Now, again, why they're doing this, you know, that's the million dollar question. Why now? And like I said to you guys earlier that I have my own theories. One of them, my theory that I've been trying to wreck in my brain and trying to like revise and try to, think that um, if I'm not a crazy person, that they basically, we know the deep state does not like Trump any way, shape, or form. He represents a huge problem to them. Yeah. Yes, he's put people in from the swamp, and he wanted to drain them, uh, drain the swamp, but for whatever reason, they do not like him. They, he, they think he's a loose cannon, so... This is what I propose, and maybe my line of thinking is totally out of out of place. But this is what my thought is: is they're going to announce it because, again, Tom Delon's kind of naysayed that he wasn't really involved with Hillary Clinton. That's BS. He definitely was wanting her to win. And again, I don't care for either one. I really don't. I don't care for Hillary, and I didn't care for Trump. But people have to know that he was a ardent Hillary Clinton supporter. So one would think the way that the deep state or whoever is controlling this knowledge and the way they would use him for disinformation is they get this narrative out, get the get this secret machines project out. And then when she didn't win, ooh, mm, now we have a kink in the road. So mm. Trump wins. Well, we can still get this out, but we'll frame it in a way where we get power back. We're just going to announce that we found life. 
and let him handle that. And there's no way he could recover from that. If they were to announce that and put it in his lap, he would not survive from that. That would be bigger than any scandal, any grab him by the you-know-what. He would not survive that. I, I do not think he would survive that because he would know how to handle it because it'd be chaos if they just let that out. And again, I, I believe what they are going to release is the core story. The core stories, they're here. They've been here for a very long time. And yes, we've been aware of them. And there's nothing we can do about them coming in and out of our airspace. So what do you guys think about that? I know I was rambling like a crazy person. But. So you think that they're going to try to do some kind of form of disclosure to kind of, I guess, put that in Trump's lap mm-hmm. and see how he would handle such a situation? Yeah, but not necessarily. The, do you think that it's more like a uh, a propaganda thing, or do you think that they're actually are are they actually telling the well, truth? Well, well, again, these people they're they are professional liars. So no, I don't think they're totally totally telling the sure. truth. I think here's the problem with UF, the UFO research field right now with regards to Tom DeLong. They just want to write him off completely, and I'm telling you that's a dangerous game because. Yeah. Some of that stuff that's in this book, this new book, a lot of people have written previous books, like Robert Temple, talking about the Dogon tribes. He's got that. And now, honestly, he could have just ripped off Robert Temple. He could have. And I kind of like the last time I was on your show, I kind of said that he was pulling elements. Or maybe what he's been told is some of the stuff that other people have looked into is true, but they're going to spin it in their way to use it to get control because again they're going through a scandal right now they had the cia stuff going on what better way to get this to all go away and to get everybody off that ball not that everybody's on it but get them off looking at away from that ball and to say hmm here you go here's a core story here's what uh, we were not alone blah 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 and then trump has to deal with it he's not he's not going to survive from that and then you're going to have a million reporters because, again, we've just established the CIA runs the media. They're going to have a million reporters all of a sudden do their job and say, hey, why has the government been holding this secret for 70 years? They would not come back from that. Trump's administration will fall uh, quickly. They would, you would not be able to handle it because then you'd have lawsuits, kind of like what Richard Dolan says. You have that. But again, they're smart. They look at things uh, as a chessboard. It's just one piece that they can move forward. Yeah, they they have to give a little bit to get a lot, but they're going to get. And then again, I don't know this for sure, but if I was them, that's what I would do. And I feel pretty confident that that's what's going to happen. Just think about it. You got, and then you can go right back to Russia. You can get everybody focused on Russia, and then you know you, you could pretty much do what you want. Because so many people would be so entrenched in that. And again, from this book, it basically talks about how religions were created from the others. That's pretty dangerous. You tell people that your religion's not the not true, it was created by these others. Oh my God, you're going to have pandemonium. You're going to basically have the movie Arrival. You know? Yeah, especially with the base that uh, Trump has with the evangelicals, right? 
Well, exactly. I mean, uh, I, I know I'm sounding like a crazy person right now, but that's just that's just my thought on what they were going to do with Tom DeLonge if Hillary didn't win, and she didn't. So that's what they probably have decided. I don't know this for a fact, but my gut feeling is that's what's coming. Because think about it. You can have all these leaks and show that they can listen to you, blah, 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 all the stuff that's really scary. And then to get people to either look away or or to basically regain control, you do this, and then it's total chaos, chaos out of order, you know, order out of chaos, really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Maybe I'm totally wrong and we learned nothing. But uh, from the, the people I've been talking to, we're going to learn something. What that something is, I don't know. I've heard, you know, I've I've heard from other researchers. It's going to be the core story, which is they've been here, they've been coming here for a very long time, and like I said, they, we can't do anything about it. We know very, we know very little about what they want. So, have you so, have you been reading the book, the new book? I have. And it's so, like what's what what's the kind of the basic premise of it? What's what, what's kind of the stuff that's in it? Because uh, um, Lavenda. From uh, from reading some of his other works, you know he doesn't seem like he's somebody that. And I think we said this before. Was he doesn't mm-hmm. seem like he's someone that would that would take the extraterrestrial hypothesis. Almost like he would take it as a being a a transdimensional thing or a spiritual thing. Yeah, it doesn't really see. That's where it gets muddy. Is again, are we dealing with an ET? Or are we dealing with you know? The multiverse? Are we dealing with multidimensional? Are we dealing with demons? I don't know. It's not really explained in the book in detail. I mean, it mentions ET, but I don't. I only think they do that de facto because they have nothing else to put in place. You know, you can't put others. It doesn't. It doesn't roll off the tongue quite as elegant as extraterrestrials. You know, so it talks about the Dogon tribe. It talks about pyramids throughout the world again it, it in uh, the first part the first thing i did with that book in pretty much every book i do is i go i don't start from page one i went to the, to the index and then mm-hmm. and the bibliography and see what's in this book and they give props to robert Baval, graham hancock um gordon white um Richard Dolan, Jim Mars, uh, who I'm thinking, who else? Um, Chris Knowles, a few other people that I'm not thinking of right now. But my point is, is they've done their homework, and either either Tom Dolan has done his homework, or obviously Pierre Lavender knows some of these people too, and he's done his homework. And this is this what this narrative is is aligning with what we've already known that we have a lost patch of history in our ancient history and uh we don't know a lot about it um academia has been hijacked by intelligence services via we've learned that from jim mars and i've kind of known that in my own personal life i've seen that happen where uh my dad made a discovery in michigan an archaeological discovery and basically they tried to go above and beyond to try to deny that this was even real. I mean, they went to lengths that I can't even believe uh, to the point where he did just ridicule them at the end because 
Um, they just didn't want to deal with it. Hmm. So if that is true and academia has been compromised and they have control of the media and they have control of all these other things, uh, I lost my train of thought. Um, they can basically put in place whatever narrative they want. Uh, getting back to the book, um, what else is in there? Um, uh, it's big on the pyramids throughout the world, namely the ones in China, uh, ones in Mesoamerica, and the one in Egypt they talk about quite a lot. I'm only a little bit into the book. I haven't like read chapters, whole chapters. Gotcha. But it's enough for me that they do know what they're talking about. Again, did they steal this information from other researchers and just put it in this book? That's a possibility. Yeah. But, you know, I, I don't know. I wasn't there. I, I, I don't know. But I guess the conclusion I'm drawing is they're, they are showing you that the other researchers that you've all read or listened to on podcast, they have been telling the truth and their information is correct. And that we're a lot closer to what this phenomenon is than we think we are, you know, than we thought we are. You know, we're we're on the right track. It's just we haven't been given access like Tom DeLong for whatever reason. And I don't know what's why people are so what's stuck in their crawl that you know the guy had an idea, he pitched to somebody at Skunk Works, and he was off to the races. I don't understand why people are so angry. You know, I, the only thing I can think of is they, they were, they're mad that they weren't chosen. Again, I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I'm not trying to def- defend the guy, but I feel bad <sighs> because they're like trying to naysay it before it even gets off the ground. Yeah, there, there could be a jealousy aspect to it. I mean, well, some people, I mean, I, I think like guys, um, like, you know, like Greg Bishop we had on last week. I think they look mm-hmm. at it, especially Bishop, because, you know, he wrote the book about Paul Benowitz. For sure. So he sees the kind of uh, parallels between somebody like DeLong and and uh, and Benowitz, you know, and he yeah. says, well, you know, we've seen this before. And, and I, so he has no, he has no, you know, Greg's not, he says he's not a ufologist. He has no, he has no uh, part in the fight. But there may be other ufologists that are out there that say, well, I've been doing this for 30 something years. And all of a sudden, who's this kid that comes, mm-hmm. you know, this, this rock star that comes in yeah. and steals all the thunder. And I did mm-hmm. notice that, uh, you know, cause, uh, Ryan Sprague was at that UFO conference out there in, in Arizona. Yep. And he said that, uh, well, he, he did post about how Tom DeLong had been, I guess he had been, the ufologist of the year or something like that. Yeah. They he gave, gave him the open mind, which is interesting in itself. Yeah. Um, Alejandro Rojas gave, or open minds conference gave Tom Delon, the UFO researcher of the year award, which really, to be honest, I'm not going to try to piss anybody off here, but really it's, it's kind of a silly award. I mean, <laughs> you're huh. giving somebody an award for something that, you know, we, I mean, if you want to be the scientific you know, on the scientific side, we can't really prove that it's really it's a real phenomenon. I'm, I'm just being playing devil's advocate. I mean, it's kind of a silly thing. But in any case, they gave it to him. Yes, he had an ex- acceptance speech where he said there's going to be something announced within 60 days. But then when he was on coast to coast, um, he made that same announcement. And he said it was going to be shorter. It was going to be like 30 days. Well, see, didn't and he give it? Didn't he give the? Did he give it by video though? Yeah, like, I, I don't video. understand why he why he couldn't be there. Why well, can't he come to these things? 
Well, he did. He he's been there a few years ago. He was there, I think, two years ago. And okay. then I just found out the first secret space conference, the one that was in San Mateo, California, with Richard Dolan. He was at that one, and then he was pissed that uh, Greg from on the higher side chats had recognized them. So basically, Greg just left him alone. But he was at that conference too. And this is right in a time frame that um, he was just starting this project, the Secret Machines project. It has not had a name yet. And this is where we can segue into uh, the Rendlesham stuff. Because I feel also a little bit more confident on this aspect that the Rendlesham Forest stuff is related to the Tom DeLon stuff. Not directly, but on a level where... I noticed something with the, the Rendlesham Forest stuff with like Peter Robbins, Larry Warren, uh, John Burroughs, and even Jim Penniston. You noticed in the tw- that time frame, 2014, early 2015, where there was something big that moved into the UFO world that was under the surface that you couldn't tell what it was. And the reason why I'm saying this is because the attacks on Larry Warren up during that 2014, 2015 time frame. Yeah. And um, you had people attack him left and right, and he was going off and blah, 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 blah. You also get, that's when he had his Facebook page hacked. And again, I've been following this because I'm, I'll be honest, I'll be upfront with everybody here and all the listeners out there. I am a supporter of Larry Warren. I do believe everything he said about what happened to him on that third night. Now, some people will say you have to basically not believe anything he says because he has demons, and I'm not going to say what those are, but if you know who he is and you're aware of what demons I'm talking about, He's got some demons in his past where he's, he's had to battle some stuff. But listen, you yeah. weren't there 37 years ago. And this event changed people. It changed a lot of people. Everybody who was at Rendlesham has been changed. I don't think they want the notoriety. You know, they, they only choose to use it now because they're trying to get to the bottom of what the hell happened there. So, again, I noticed when this Tom DeLonge stuff started to bubble up is when the RFI stuff started to get turned up to another level of let's attack Larry Warren, let's attack Peter Robbins. And then Peter Robbins comes out with that book, um, Woodbridge, which was a fine book. Yeah. And I love Peter. He's a great guy. And I'm sad to see that this relationship between him and Larry Warren has been, I'd say, muted a little bit. Uh, in recent months because of Peter's wanting to distance himself from Larry Warren. And again, my, and it was on your show that I remember hearing this, but I know, I know about this because I've seen in documentaries too, but he mentions, and I think one of your shows that you had Peter on where Larry takes Peter to the site where Peter, this is where you're going to get trace evidence. This is where you're going to get soil samples that are going to come back and it's going to be come back with elevated levels of what have you, or it's not going to grow or it's going to grow. I forget what it was. Yeah. He knew where that stuff was. If he wasn't there or had nothing apart 
of the third night, then how the hell would he know that stuff? Right. You know what right. I mean? So that throws out pretty much everybody's stuff about you can't believe Larry Warren. Okay, well, let's address the, the A-10 picture of the Special Forces guy who handed Larry Warren the picture of the famous A-10 and then the UFO in the background. Well, Bruce McAbee had said back in the 90s and the early 2000s, that photo is legit. And now recently, you're getting people, in fact, they had a whole to-do about this, and I kind of laughed. They wanted to like crowdfund uh, analysis of uh, Larry Warren's handwriting and try to figure out whether that photo is real or not. And then they turned out that it's not real. And, oh, my God, it's like friggin' drama like in high school. You know, it's <laughs> stupid. You know, yeah, leave the yeah. guy alone. You right. know, you know. So the latest thing is now this picture is not real. But then I, I, I asked somebody to look at this who is a photo expert. Again, you're looking at a photo through friggin' Facebook. Are you seriously that silly to think that you're going to get the quality photographic proof that that picture was altered? Are you kidding me? What would make <laughs> more sense is when True. Larry's Facebook was hacked, Somebody doctored the original picture. That would make more sense to me. And I know it's kind of conspiratorial, but that would make more sense to me versus, oh, you know, he, he just faked every picture. And the, to finally, you know, just shut this, the naysayers up finally is who cares if he had pictures with Yoko Ono or John Lennon? If he did doctor those photos, I don't care. It's kind of like Bob Lazar. I don't care if he graduated from MIT. You want to know why? Because people like Jeremy Corbell has established for a fact because he met the scientists that worked with Bob Lazar, not worked with him, but knew him at Los Alamos and knew that he had worked on certain projects. And one of the projects that he was working at was at S4. That, so, and there's a podcast, most, I would love for most UFO researchers, like, I love me some Stan Friedman, but he needs to listen to that podcast with, from Jeremy Corbell, because that scientist, he's on it with Bob Lazar. And I know I went on that tangent and I'm getting all uh, psyched about this, but it just irks me that people don't do their <laughs> due diligence. They read one book and they think, um, I, I know all. Yeah, and I'm an expert I, I don't know all, you know? Well, I'm going to say this, like, you know, Rendlesham has become, it's kind of become a black hole and it's kind of, it's kind of gotten confusing because sure. I, I mean, the whole thing around Larry Warren, and I do believe Larry, uh, you know, I, I do, uh, but the whole, the whole confusion behind him and Halt and Peniston, I guess it's Peniston that, you know, yeah, got the, travelers. <laughs> yeah, the binary code that, you know, yeah. gave the location of the mystical island of high Brazil, whatever mm -hmm. the hell that means. And it just like the whole thing has just become so, so damn confusing that it's become a black hole. Like I even think, you know, I'm pretty sure I think Peter has pretty much not necessarily washed his hands of it, but he's kind of backing away from it a little bit now because mm -hmm. really, I think he said most that he can really say about it and has defended all that he can really defend. And, you know, and then halts out there now making the, making the rounds again with and, a book. That's like a thousand pages. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, there, there's just, just not much more that you can really do. And then there's the aspect and I've, 
gotten the privilege to speak to Peter about this. And mm-hmm. he even he even mentions this in in Left at Eastgate mm-hmm. that Rendlesham is just a bizarre, weird place, and strange things happen there all the time. They happened sure. before 1980, and they're happening now. I can agree a thousand percent because I have a book called UFOs, Portals, and Other Worlds, I think. Yeah. I think I can't remember. Anyways, Nigel Mortenter, I believe that's his last name, he wrote that book. It shows, without a shadow of a doubt, that that Rendlesham area is like Skinwalker Ranch. You have all kinds of high strangers happening in there all the time. So, And most people don't realize that, though. No, people just they again they I don't know I, I don't want to be a, you know, no no they don't naysayer but most people don't do again they don't do their due diligence they read one book and think that's the perspective I'm going to come at this with and I don't care what anybody says because this one book told me so right well you know you heard, mm-hmm. I, I guess you heard our uh, interview with Steph Young we talked a little bit about Rendlesham yeah that and was just a really the, good episode the strange happenings that happen there all the time and it's not just it's not just this one event at the end of 1980 and it's pretty consistent with everything else that has happened what happened in 1980 is consistent with everything else so i I think you know what peter talks about the main reason why that these guys were treated the way that they were Mm -hmm. is because all this attention that was brought to the base where they were storing nuclear weapons that under the NATO treaty, they weren't supposed to have there. Exactly. <laughs> Breaking a treaty for sure. I yeah. agree. And I just had a, a epiphany the other day. I was reading a Ryan Sprague article on Omni and how this relates. I'll tell you in a second about uh, the Fort Dix uh, alien being shot at Fort Dix. Um, and uh, what's his name? George Filer had said he was told, a silver or a silver and white C-141 Starlifter came in and they took that whatever that was away. And um, and um, they took this bean away and um, took it to wherever. That's eerily reminiscent of what happened to um, Rendlesham Forest yeah. um, that night, or not that night, the next day. This silver and white C-141 was also at Rendlesham Forest uh, at the Air Force, not the Rendlesham Forest, but the base. And um, they, too, took stuff out of the forest, which was interesting. In any case, I thought that was interesting of note, um, to note. That's a little detail, like, UFO researchers need to go after, is we need to figure out who could store those C-141s, what base, and then we could work from that, you know. That's how we're going to learn some stuff on Rendlesham. You know, if we keep hearing the story of Larry or hearing the story of John Burroughs or the story of uh, Colonel Halt, we're not going to get anywhere. We're just going to go in circles because they're going to just badmouth each other, which is sad because they all have post-traumatic stress disorder because they all experience something crazy. You know, what that was, I don't know. You know, I don't think it necessarily was alien, but something happened to those guys. And they were also messed with. They were also by the the Air Force. And that's the part where, again, the Tom DeLon thing, to me, 
like I said, the ratcheting up of trying to get at Larry Warren, because I think, honestly, he would be the key to this case, because obviously he was there in that field with motion picture cameras, still photography, uh, other photography, where they actually saw what this was. And those things floating off the ground and this this triangular triangular craft that uh, manifested and had a glow around it. And here's the interesting thing. Everybody but Colonel Hall has had issues with radiation, or whether it be their eyes. In the yeah. case of John Burroughs, his heart. And he had to fight for his medical records with two senators to get his medical records. I don't think I don't I can't remember off the top of my head were they released or not. I don't think they were released, but he at least his physician was given permission to see what he was was exposed to because that was uh, deemed national security. That's pretty scary. And then Jim Peniston too. He had some issues with his eyes with radiation too. So. We need to look. We need to look into little details like that, and then we can start to get a better picture or make a better case, and maybe look in a different direction than, oh, geez, John Bros is saying this, or Larry Warren saying that, or Colonel Holtz is saying everybody wasn't there. You know, nobody wasn't there for us. You know, Colonel well, Holtz is he's funny guy. Contrast. I would contrast Jim Peniston with Larry Warren, and I would say that you know Peniston, like I just said before, he's coming up with all this weird stuff. And if what Peter says is correct, that these guys were taken and they were given some kind of hallucinogen, mm-hmm. and they were basically mind controlled, and you know, I found out from reading Walter Bosley's book that the Air Force was working on MK Ultra even before the CIA was working on such projects. So the Air Force probably had it down pretty well by 1980. The things that they were what they were willing to do and and what they could do. You know, I think that the problem with Warren, if for them, is that Warren eventually broke the programming. And realized yeah. that he got messed with, and what the things that he had said that he was in this underground base, he realized mm-hmm. that was all just a suggestion that was put in my brain. Mm-hmm. That wasn't ever real. Well, was it though? Because here's the thing: there, uh, the reason why I went back and I did a lot of research on the Rendlesham case. I went back and listened to an old episode from 2013 with John Burroughs of Open Minds Radio. And he mentions that there is an underground component to that base. Yeah, I'm sure there is. But so, were, there, were, were there aliens down there? No, and- no, 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 no. I'm not saying that. But, you know, well, see, again, yeah. they're doing their job. Perception management. They're mm-hmm, doing their job. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're, we're laughing at it. And that's exactly. that we can't laugh. But people are just, like, scoffing at the whole idea, you know, and they're getting what they want. But my thought was when DeLong came onto the scene, this stuff got ratcheted up. And the attack on Larry Warren got ratcheted to like 20 now. Because there's a, a researcher in the UK, I'm not going to name her name, because I don't like her in any way, shape, or form, and I'm not going to give her credit in any way, shape, or form. But this woman, she fervently wants Larry Warren to go away. Just go away because he said some mean things, hurtful things, what have you. And so now it's going to be her life's mission to ruin his life. And honestly, Adam, I honestly believe 
that somebody got to researchers in the UK, meaning some intelligence service, and they just want this random case to go bye-bye. And if to, and for it to go bye-bye completely, because I don't think if you cut, it's a three-headed snake, and if you cut off the main head, the other two will die. If you get Larry Warren to either off himself or just to deal with his demons in a way that's not good, then that problem will, that problem will be solved, and we won't have to worry about Rendlesham Forest anymore. We won't hear any more of it. Yeah. And that's what I really think they're trying to do with him. And it's really sad because people are like talking all kinds of smack about him. And he's just, he's just a guy trying to live his life. Is he a perfect person? No, nobody's perfect. Right. But the problem is, is he was there. You weren't, you know, that's the, that's the thing that just gets me other every time. I'm sorry. I'm just uh, going off on a tangent <laughs> about him and I'm not like a, some fanboy. I mean, I have talked to him at length. Uh, in fact, I wrote a thing, a year ago about Rendlesham Forest and how I just, my hope was everybody would just come together. And cause that's the, here's another thing. I think this case is one of the only cases in the modern era that if everybody were to collectively come together and sing Kumbaya and just deal with each other and be polite, <laughs> we could bring down this, this, not so much the system, but bring down their narrative of it was a first. It was a lighthouse. Then it was uh, you guys oh, were yeah. all crazy. Then it was um, uh, tra- time trailers. And then Larry Warren, all your pictures are fake. What what's it going to be next week? You know, I mean they right. are tr- they've tried every friggin' thing to get this case to go away. I, I was again. I was watching. Just, to, so go ahead. Sorry. No, I, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was watching a documentary. Uh, well, it's one of these shows on like uh, Discovery Channel or mm-hmm. Destination America or one of those stupid stations, and they yeah. had, they had uh, they were talking about Rendlesham, and and they actually brought out the um, the lighthouse explanation. I'm like, <laughs> come on, seriously? I mean, yeah, like yeah, yeah. All these Air Force officers and guys that were well trained. Suppose you know, I, I would be really that would be really afraid for our Air Force if our Air Force guys couldn't thought a a, a light from a a lighthouse was a UFO. I mean, that would really scare me. I mean, come on. These are guys who in the eighties during the cold war, I know it's laughable, like on another level, these are guys who trained in the air force to hear an aircraft and know what aircraft that is not by sight, but by sound. Yeah. That is a training on a whole nother level. These are not guys who are just some hillbillies, they put out the left, you know, the gate and said, here's the shotgun and just deal with it. No, you know, these are legitimate guys who had training who, like Larry says, they were given M16 that it was used in Vietnam previously. Yeah. So you're not going to just, uh, I'm just, I'm just, yeah, it's, it's, it. it's insulting to your intelligence. I mean, it, it yeah. honestly is. It's like, I mean, come on. Uh, like the lighthouse wasn't there the, the day before and the day after. Like, you know? <laughs> I, I know it's, I know whatever. Well, we Chris, <laughs> let's talk about, you were, you were, you wanted to talk about a, um, an area that's around where you live and, 
uh, some of your personal experiences there. Now, you mentioned before about your dad, an archaeological thing. Is that related to that? Um, the only relation would be it would be Native American find. And he was, and not to go off in that deep end, maybe we, you can have me on for another show, but he was into Native American cultures here in Michigan and finding mounds all throughout southeastern Michigan. And um, people didn't like that very much, I'll just say that. Okay. But um, this place in the thumb of Michigan, um, Salak Petroglyph State Park, has, you know... I would only, in my research, call it a place kind of like a Skinwalker Ranch. No, I haven't seen Beast with glowing eyes or anything like that, but I have experienced some weirdness associated with this site. You haven't and seen I'm any. The, you haven't seen any dire wolves. No, 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 no. <laughs> I haven't seen dire wolves or hand wolves or or anything like that. But like John Tenney, a person you've had on before. Yep. Mm-hmm. He, we, my wife and I went to a conference and the reason why I was interested in, cause I wanted to see, um, how related to UFOs. It was the dog man symposium put on by, uh, Ken Gearhard in oh, okay. uh, Ohio. Yeah. And, uh, John Tenney was the first speaker and he talked about this state park. And I didn't know that he had gone there before and let alone that he had weird experience there. That was eerily similar, not exactly similar, but similar in the sense that it was weird to what my wife and my cousin had at the time. And his experience was he had met a retired GM worker who had said, hey, John, do you want to meet some, um, he didn't say elves, but they're like elves. Do you want to meet these little people? And John's like, sure, because he thought the guy was just, like crazy, right? He's like, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll go with you. And I have to give you this caveat. This guy's land butts up to the back end of the state park. So it definitely okay, is, is in the area, the same area that this, we experienced ours. Okay, this is the uh, this is the Cinelac? Cinelac. Cinelac. Petroglyphs yeah, Historic Petroglyphs. State Park. Okay. Yep, yep. Um. So John takes a bump on his offer and says, yeah, I'll go and I want to see these things. But the guy's like, you have to do this preparation before you go. You cannot eat meat for three days. You have to go out to outside to the sunshine and just bask in the sun for 30 seconds. You have to be nice to an animal, like one animal, not just a group of animals. You, there was a few more things I can't remember. It's, you know, it was back in July when we went. But anyways, John Tenney did all this. He goes back to the guy, and the guy's like, all right, you're ready. Let's go. They go in. They went in the wintertime. And John's like, can I bring my camera? The guy's like, yeah, you can. And he's like, okay. He's Again, he's thinking that this guy's just making this up. They, he just went through this whole, this uh, all these things they had to do, and it was just going to be just one giant letdown. Well, sure as can be. All of a sudden, the guy is like, stop. And so John stops, and you get these sparkly things. Now, I've talked to all the researchers, namely Erica Lukes in Utah, and she had said the same thing on the Paracast for a native site uh, that she has seen UFOs at, where there was like a, it looked like a sparkler going off. 
but it obviously wasn't a sparkler because this is wintertime, but you get that effect, and then you see something. Well, John Tenney saw something. It ran across the way, ran in the snow. He was like, oh, my God, the guy was not lying to me, or it was Nanol. So they track up a little bit, they get a little bit closer, and they see footprints, and they're like hooves. Now, that's interesting because at Skinwalker Ranch or other places, namely the Rangerson uh, area, you get you hear stories of you find hoof, uh, footprints that are like hooves. Mm-hmm. So John was like, okay, this is very interesting. Takes a few pictures of that. And then he's like, they're ready. And John's like, what do you mean they're ready? They told me they're ready. You can see them now. And right in front of them, the sparkler gets more intense. This light gets more intense. And this thing manifests. And it looks like a little... Not gnome, but it's like a creature. And it comes, he sees it for a second. He goes to take a picture. He doesn't know whether he got it or not. And it just blinks out. And it's gone. And he goes, oh, they're they're going now. And that was it. And John Tenney, when he was at the Dogman Symposium, he wanted to see if that picture would show anything. And he was having it analyzed. And at that time, he did not have photographic proof. But I take his word on it because, like I said, I've experienced my own weirdness. Not just me. My wife and my cousin were there, and we experienced weirdness. So our event. Yeah, what happened to you? Yeah, I want to know. So we're in the park, and we went there because my cousin said it is, you know, petroglyphs, and I'm into that. So we go. And where it is, is you can't even go during that time we went in the fall. You can't even get to the petroglyphs because it's a, a fenced in area and you can't even get to it. They have it completely surrounded because they want people destroying it. So we were on the nature trail that goes around. It's not a very big state park. It's pretty small. But it's kind of trail that goes into the park and basically makes a big U. So we're there and my wife, she lights up a cigarette and we notice, or she notices first, that the, there's a creek that goes right through the middle of the um, uh, the park. And I'm, I forgot to add this part. It was a oddly warm day in November. It was early November. It was 70, like 72, 73 degrees. And this is in upper Michigan, not upper Michigan, but in the thumb, where it would be cooler yeah. normally. But it was a 70-degree day. It was nice and warm. So we were there. No wind. No wind whatsoever. But what she noticed, the first thing that we noticed, was the water started to ripple. Not just a little bit, like white caps on a little creek. That would mean you'd have to have wind. Well, we didn't have any wind. So that was kind of weird. We're watching this, and we're like, what's going on? And all of a sudden, the water got so angry. I mean, it was white camping. And again, this is a creek. This is not a large body of water. It's not a lake. It's not an ocean. It's a little creek. And the water is moving like nobody's business. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? So we continue on, and the whole creek is going crazy. And all of a sudden, the temperature drops. And Adam, when I'm saying the temperature dropped, it dropped to the point where you could see your breath. Mm-hmm. So we go from it being 70 degrees I'm wearing shorts to where it's now you could see your breath. So it's that cold. And again, Erica Lukes, she mentioned the same thing in Utah when she saw her UFO with the sparklers. The temperature dropped. Um, 
which is interesting of note. Again, it's in the Native area, a Native American area where she saw her UFO. We didn't see a UFO. It was just water, and then the temperature dropped. And then I was like, you know what? My dad has always said, if you make the spirits angry or whatever we're dealing with angry, we need to appease it in some way. So I said, honey, give me your cigarette. We broke it apart. I put the tobacco on this rock. And Adam, I kid you not, the water calmed down, and the temperature came right back up. And we got the hell out of that park so fast. Huh. Yeah. Weird. Yeah, definitely weird. And then I had my cousin, who is in anthropology, look into that site. Well, guess what? They would bury. It's a burial site. Mm-hmm. I never knew this. My dad didn't know that. The Anishinaabe would bury their people there. And I don't think the state of Michigan knows that either. But they would bury their dead there. And you see this. Time again, time again, Skinwalker Ranch, the same thing. It's where the, the uh, Utenan Basin uh, Indians, I don't know what their right. name exactly is, but that's where they would bury their people. And yeah. that's where you get all the strangeness. And I can't tell you how many times, how many people have written books about Native Americans and uh, portals and stuff like that. It's too many to mention, but... There is that connection, which is weird. Now, here's the here's the other part I didn't say. Is whatever John Tenney experienced, it went home with him. And now, it didn't come home with us. Or at least I wasn't aware that it came home with us. But it did go home with John, John Tenney. And it left prints all over his home. And my wife are debating back and forth whether we want to go back or not. Because obviously we have a little one. And I don't want anything coming back and doing anything. Yeah. So I I have prepared this. I am going to go back. I prepared a team, though. I want to be exactly like this. I want a hardcore skeptic who does not believe in anything paranormal whatsoever. And I have that person. I have a person here locally who is a magician. Not like a, a magician with cards, but a, a magic magician Sure. And I want to see if that roils this up, too. And then I have a person who has um, Native American ties. And I want to see if we can get something to manifest, like John Tenney did. Yeah. And I think we're also going to do the same thing that that guy uh, suggested to do. Because that would be pretty wild. And then if we could see anything, that would be amazing. But that's my story. And um, yeah. My wife hates when I bring it up because she doesn't want people <laughs> to know that we've experienced this. What does the petroglyph uh, depict? What it, I mean, I, I see it, but I can't really tell what it's supposed to be. It, it's a man um, with a bow and arrow. And I, honestly, I'm not the expert to ask that. It would be my uh, cousin because he's done a lot more research on it. I just yeah. know that the Anishinaabe are the ones that were there. And who buried their dead there. I do know this too. The loggers during the 1900s came into the area and they were logging the area pretty good. And all of a sudden there was a massive fire and they had to leave that area. That's on a placard at that park because they had log homes, uh, log homes there uh, for the lumberjacks in the 1900s because they would take that and take the wood and put it right onto the ships, which is maybe 
Um, the Lake Huron's maybe 20 minutes away. Mm-hmm. And they would pull that wood through the river, that creek, to the ships. Because that creek dumps into uh, Lake Huron. And there was a massive fire, and they left, and they never came back. Hmm. So I found that interesting of note, too. There's a lot of interesting stuff with the the Native American connection with all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost as like they knew uh, exactly where they wanted to put these, their burial grounds. Like they, they knew what was sacred and what probably wasn't and what could be like a portal to exactly. another dimension in a way. You know, even down here uh, with the, um, I don't know if you ever heard of the Bell Witch. It's kind of a Tennessee yep. legend. But uh, there's there's a Native American Indian mound connection to that because the uh, the bell two of the bell sons were digging into a Native American Indian ground burial ground mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden uh, the phenomenon started to occur. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's a lot of interesting stuff with that, man. Oh yeah. So Rob, you got any thoughts yeah. on that, Rob? Anything weird happened to you up in there? Well, like like, anything weird like that in your part of Michigan? No, and to be honest, I've never heard of the petroglyphs up there at all growing up there. Um, That's pretty interesting. You sent me a link a Mm -hmm. couple weeks ago Mm -hmm. to it, and I was looking into it. It's it's across the state from me, but um, no, no, it's fascinating, though. I'd like to go see it. Yeah, the state of Michigan has all kinds of treasures that most people don't even know. Um, I know there's a uh, cave art that my dad found in the 70s, that again, the state of Michigan worked diligently to deny its existence. And then in 2010, my cousin, who is a lot younger, decided with his buddies to go and find it, and he found it, and it's deteriorated over the years, but it's still there. And the only way you can get to it now is if you climb to it, because it's on a, it's on a sheer bluff. And they climb to it, and it's there, and it was... Again, it's the state of Michigan does not want people knowing, for whatever reason, our past history. And I don't know if that is because they don't want Native Americans to say, hey, this is ours, and maybe they had to give them their land. I don't know. But yeah, sometimes I, it's political. Is, well, Adam, it's, I can tell you, my father had run-ins with the same Michigan or the uh, National Park Service at least a half a dozen times where oh. he's found something. He was like a, a modern-day Indiana Jones. Uh, I, I know it's interesting. You know, Walter Bosley has his dad with uh, the Air Force and then uh, my dad with um, his Native American stuff. It's pretty interesting. He's also, uh, I know, Rob, are you familiar with the island Isle Royal? Yeah. In Lake Superior. Yeah. My dad and my mom went there for their honeymoon and my dad took a canoe with my mom into this uh, Lake Ritchie. And there's a cave in one of the areas near Lake Ritchie. And he found petroglyphs there. And that, that's a national park. So that's, you know, that's not the state of Michigan's. That's a national park. And he came back and told the park ranger, hey, I found this. And they're like, don't talk about it. Oh, it doesn't crazy. exist. <laughs> Don't talk about it. You were never here. He's like, what do you mean I was never here? Don't talk about it. And he pushed his finger into his chest and said, you're not going to talk about it. In fact, you're leaving. And they made him get off the island early. Hmm. So, huh. yeah. 
Why do you suppose they're not wanting that out? I I, I couldn't, again, I, I think, I don't know how much you know about Frank Joseph. He's written a book about like ancient America. There was a coin from Tibet that was found on Isle Royale. Now, whether that coin really was from Tibet, I don't know because I'm not in possession of that coin. But there was a story where this hike, uh, not hiker, backpacker found this silver or copper, I think it was silver, silver coin that was from Tibet on Isle Royale. Now, that would suggest people have been to America well before the Vikings or obviously well before Christopher Columbus. And that wouldn't jive with their whole narrative of, you know, Columbus was the first person here. Um, that, that's, I guess, a direct threat to, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess if they teach people a certain way, they want to keep teaching them that way. I don't, I don't know. It's, yeah. it's scary. I mean, I know about an island in upper Michigan, the UP, that the Mason Zone. And that you cannot go on an island. It's protected like it's Area 51. Uh-huh. The only reason why I knew about it is because my cousin did a backpacking trip. And he was in the area, and he was told to leave. They, they swam to the island, and they were told to leave. Mm. And it's got all kinds of Masonic stuff going on there. This is kind of reminiscent of the, the Scott Walter yeah. stuff. Yeah. We know where the human sacrifices take place now. Right. Well, you know, <laughs> I, I joked with him about that. He's like, really? I'm like... Yeah, Josh, they, they could be doing some really crazy stuff. I go look in the Bohemian Grove. So, yeah, 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 yeah I, I know just, it. I think it's a lot more prevalent than people even realize. That's true. So, well, Chris, but, uh, I think we're about done. If you, uh, if you have any final words that you want to say or tell people where they can also contact you and get in touch with, yeah, the, with you, just Facebook and, uh, uh, like I said last time, I'm not interested in writing a book. I'm just a regular old researcher, regular guy who loves your podcast and uh, enjoys researching, I guess. You know, that's about it. So well, thank you for guys both for having me. Well, thank you, sir. Yeah, absolutely. As always, we're going to, we, we need to get you back on. We need to talk about some of this other, any, anytime anything happens like with, uh, we get any updates, anything like that. You're the, you're the guy I come to on that. So, all right, <laughs> all, right all right, sir. Sounds good. Well, all stay right, on, stay on the line for us. Uh, we're going to close this section out, and we will be right back on Conspiranormal. <laughs> I'm sure if Luke were here, he'd have something like really like dumb to say or slightly pointed. Brilliant. You mean brilliant. Nasty. Yes. Or brilliant. You know, you never know what you're going to get <laughs> in, that, in that particular shuffle, do you? So, Rob, what do you think of that uh, little interview there? Oh, I love having Chris on. You know, I mean, outside of the fact that he's a fellow Michigander, he also, <laughs> like, it's, it's great that he's, um, He's someone who's so dedicated to what he does that he's not out there writing books. He's not out there trying to promote anything, any kind of product. You know, he just is looking for 
for the truth. He's just looking for information and wanting to share it and talk to other people. Um, which is, it's, you know, it's, um, nothing against anyone that's writing books on the subject or, you know, out there doing their thing either, but it's, um, it's just great to, to see somebody that's that enthusiastic about it, that just wants to, to be a big part of the community and to contribute and to, to kind of share like that. Sure. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think he should work on something. He should work on a book because he he really does have a lot of. He does have some cool stuff. I mean, and it could be like all locally based, you know, like Michigan, sure type stuff. Because he's got enough stories through, like what he was saying with his dad and with the, um, you know, the petroglyph stuff and caves and uh, various little islands. Um, that'd be yeah, that'd be really cool. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think he should really he should really consider it. We're we're putting in that out there, Chris, for you. Yes, because we know you're listening. <laughs> right, that's a book. Yes, write us a book. We we want a book. Oh <laughs> uh, well, uh, not much in really the what, what we we kind of really reported on the big news of the week, which was Vault Seven. So that's kind of out of the way. Um, just usual as usual, we're screwed. You know what? What else can you say? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I, this was I was going to bring that up when Chris was on, but I forgot. Um, all right, we got sidetracked. But I, you know, I I brought this up probably about a year ago, the fact that, um, they, uh, they're not really hiding themselves anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's become so blatantly obvious that they are doing what they're doing and everybody seems to know and be okay with it. That that's what terrifies me is that now they've come out and it's like, they used to be these sort of shadow organizations to a certain degree. And now it's like, well, yeah, this is what we're doing. This is what we can do. This is what we're capable of. And, you know, the fact that they feel unstoppable is pretty unnerving. Right. It's kind of like the incremental approach, right? They like the, the was that the whole frog in the frying pan when you turn the heat up just a little bit slightly, the frog doesn't notice that it's being, that's being boiled or fried alive. I've never heard of that. That's yeah. horrifying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like, that's usually the, um, what is it? The metaphor that is given for kind of like the incremental, um, increase of government power mm-hmm. or you know that you don't that you don't really notice it because it's it's in such small steps well i thought like ever since 9-11 that's what i've kind of thought was the the plan was to you know get everybody on board with um patriotism to the point where we start ignoring our our um lack of liberty and we're sacrificing it because of uh you know the fear propaganda and right and all this other stuff it's like you know handing away our rights to to protect us like build bigger walls but and, and take away all of my freedoms and trap me here and mm-hmm. that sort of, sort of mentality that i mean it's happening yeah like i know like i said before a couple of shows ago about how we have this like basically like the kind of this false choice that we've been given not just like the republican and democrat thing which is the ultimate false choice, but we have this other false choice where like now we're, we, we, we can choose between Trump or the, or the CIA, you know, and that's, that mm-hmm. to me is a pretty <clears throat> scary choice. Terrifying. Well, it's like a few weeks ago, you brought up the whole, um, the CIA, <clears throat> what was it? I, I don't even remember what the situation was, but they were basically divulging information that would, you know, incriminate Trump and in something and promote Hillary Mm-hmm. And I, at first I had taken the stance that, well, you know, if they do know something, then maybe they should. But, you know, what? I'm starting to realize that they know everything and they shouldn't have a say in anything. 
like you said, you know, we, we don't need them also choosing our politicians. It's bad enough all the power that they have now that's unchecked. And again, that's the problem to begin with is you can't have people in a position of power unchecked. You just, you can't, it doesn't work. People are horrible creatures. <laughs> yeah. Uh, are you talking about the golden showers thing? I think that's what it was about? that we were talking about. Yeah. yeah. But, but there, yeah, it was, it was pretty obvious that they were coming out and saying, well, you know, like Hillary's going to kind of let us do what we want to do. So we're going to, you know, derail your presidential campaign. And yeah, that all actually came out after the election. Yeah. Yeah. So. But, but it was still, it was still very much like, um, we want to get rid of this guy cause he's not supporting our right. agenda kind of thing. Yeah. This, Which this, I'm sure they have just as much want. dirt on Hillary or anybody else. Oh yeah. You, you sure. know, but they want to get rid of anyone that's going to kind of stand in their way. And the whole thing about it being from this M supposedly this MI six, I can't remember which one it is. MI six or MI five. I think it's MI six. The one that's like kind of like the, the British counterpart to the CIA. Right. They, uh, that supposedly this guy came out and it all comes from him and he supposedly has these sources and yeah, it looked awfully fishy and suspicious to me that that's where it was coming from, was coming from the intelligence agency. And then, uh, what was the other thing? Well, basically Trump coming out there and accusing them of doing these leaks. And then of course, you know, you had the whole brouhaha we talked about, about, uh, supposedly Obama, um, what wiretapping Trump Tower, right. all this stuff, yeah. you know, that Trump was tweeting about, <laughs> which a lot of people were getting onto him for tweeting. And he probably shouldn't have, but, you know, I think he has a real disdain. I mean, there's a real disdain for and not much love between Trump and the intelligence agencies and the CIA. Um, but here's an interesting thing I want to talk about. Um, this came out, of course, this is from the Huffington Post, and yeah, I know, this is the big, one of the big liberal mm. um, news organizations, but uh, so be it. I thought this was interesting, and this actually came from, uh, Dr. Future actually sent me this, um, and uh, I, w I wanted to kind of do a little thing about Steve Bannon, uh, but I may still get into some of that, but this this will kind of give like a taste on, on some of the other things we're going to talk about. I might maybe in the next show touch on uh, what I basically call Steve Bannon's favorite books. <laughs> and uh, we're going to talk about one of these books uh, called the camp of the saints. And this is from HuffPost um, Huffington post. This stunningly racist French novel is how Steve Bannon explains the world. And I want to say too, like this guy, Bannon just about equally scares me as anybody in the CIA. Okay. Yeah. I mean, just about as equally. I mean, this is okay. So here's your, this, your choices between the CIA are this guy that's behind Trump. Okay. This is your choice now, America. Uh, the Camp of the Saints tells a grotesque tale about a migrant invasion to destroy Western civilization. Stephen Bannon, President Donald Trump's chief strategist and the driving force behind the administration's controversial ban on travelers from seven Muslim-majority countries, has a favorite metaphor he uses to describe the largest refugee crisis in human history. <laughs> it's been almost a camp of the saints-type invasion into Central and then Western Europe, Western and Northern Europe, he said in October 2015. 
This whole thing in Europe is all about immigration, he said in January 2016. It's a global issue today, this kind of global camp of the saints. It's not a migration, he said later that January. It's really an invasion. I call it the camp of the saints. When we first started talking about this a year ago, he said in April 2016, we called it the camp of the saints. I mean, this is camp of the saints, isn't it? (laughs) Bannon has agitated for a host of anti-immigration immigrant measures. In his previous role as executive chairman of the right-wing news site Breitbart, which he called a platform for the alt-right, the online movement of white nationalists, he made anti-immigrant and anti-Muslim news a focus. But the top Trump's Trump aides repeated references to the Camp of the Saints, an obscure 1973 novel by French author Jean Raspel, reveal even more about how he understands the world. The book is a cult favorite of the far right, yet it's never found a wider audience. There's a good reason for that. It's breathtakingly racist. The book is racist in the literal sense of the term. It uses race as the main characterization of characters, said Cecile Audoy, professor of French at Stanford University and an expert on the contemporary French far right. It describes the takeover of Europe by waves of immigrants that wash ashore like the plague. The book, she said, reframes everything as the fight to death between races. Upon the novel's release in the United States in 1975, the influential book review magazine Kirkus Reviews pulled no punches. The publishers are presenting the Camp of the Saints as a major event, and it probably is, in much the same sense that Mein Kampf was a major event. Linda Chavez, a Republican commentator who has worked for GOP presidents from Ronald Reagan to George W. Bush, but opposed Trump's election, also reviewed the book back then. 40 years later, she hasn't forgotten it. It's it's really shockingly racist, Chavez told the Huffington Post, and to have the counselor to the president see this as one of his touchstones, I think says volumes about his attitude. The plot of the Camp of the Saints follows a poor Indian demagogue named the Turd Eater. Because he literally eats shit and the deformed, (laughs) apparently psychic child who sits on his shoulders. Together, they lead an armada of 800,000 impoverished Indians sailing to France. Dithering European politicians, bureaucrats, and religious leaders, including a liberal pope from Latin America. That's interesting. Debate whether to let the ships land and accept the Indians are to do the right thing in the book's vision by recognizing the threat the migrants pose and killing them all. The non-white people of Earth, meanwhile, wait silently for the Indians to reach shore. The landing will be the signal for them to rise up everywhere and overthrow white Christian, white Western society. The French government eventually gives the order to repel the Armada by force, but by then the military has lost the will to fight. Troops battle among themselves as the Indians stream on shore, trampling to death left-wing radicals who come to welcome them. Poor black and brown people literally overrun Western civilization. Chinese people pour into Russia. The Queen of England is forced to marry her son to a Pakistani woman. The mayor of New York must house an African-American family at Gracie Mansion. Raspel's rogue heroes, the defenders of white Christian supremacy, attempt to defend their civilization with guns blazing, but are killed in the process. Calgas, the obvious Raspel stand-in, is one of those taking up arms against the migrants and their culturally cuckolded white supporters. Just before killing a radical hippie, Calgas compares his (laughs) own actions to past past heroic, sometimes mythical defenses of European Christendom. He harkens back to famous battles that fit the clash of civilizations narrative. 
the defense of Rhodes against the Ottoman Empire, the fall of Constantinople to the same, and glorifies colonial wars of conquest and the formation of the Ku Klux Klan. Only white Europeans like Calgus are portrayed as true, truly human in the camp of the saints. The Indian Armada brings thousands <laughs> of wretched creatures whose very bodies arouse disgust. Now, these this is uh, these are quote from these are quotes from the book actually. Scraggy scraggy ranches, brown and black, all bear those fleshless Gandhi arms. Poor brown children are spoiled fruit starting to rot, all wormy inside or turned so you can't see the mold. The ship's inhabitants are also sexual deviants who turn the voyage into a grotesque orgy. Everywhere, rivers of sperm, Raspel writes, streaming over bodies, oozing between breasts and buttocks and thighs and lips and fingers. So it wasn't all negative. (laughs) Yeah. The white (laughs) Christian world is on the brink of destruction, the novel suggests, because these black and brown people are more fertile and more numerous, while the West has lost that necessary belief in its own cultural and racial superiority. As he talks to the hippie he will soon kill, Calgase explains how the youth went so wrong. That scorn of a people for other races, the knowledge that one's own is best, the triumph and joy of feeling oneself to be part of humanity's finest, none of that had ever filled these youngsters' adult brains. The Camp of the Saints, which draws its title from Revelations 29, is nothing less than a call to arms for the white Christian West to revive the spirit of the Crusades and still itself for bloody conflict against the poor black and brown world without and the traitors within. The novel's last line links past humiliations tightly to its own grim parable about modern migration. The fall of Constantinople, Raspail's unnamed narrator says, is a personal misfortune that happened to all of us only last week. Raspel wrote The Camp of the Saints in 1972-1973 after a stay at his aunt's house near Caen on the southern coast of France. Looking across the Mediterranean, he had an epiphany. And what if they came, he thought to himself. This they was not clearly defined at first, he told the conservative publication Le Point in 2015. Then I imagine that the third world would rush into this blessed country that is France. Raspel's novel has been published in the U.S. several times, each time with the backing of the anti-immigration anti-immigration movement. The U.S. publishing house Scribner was the first to translate the book into English in 1975, but it failed to reach a wide audience amid withering reviews by critics. A rare favorable take appeared in National Review. Raspel brings his retort reader to the surprising conclusion that killing a million or so starving refugees from India would be a supreme act of individual sanity and cultural health. Then Dartmouth professor Jeffrey Hart wrote in 1975, Raspel is to genocide what D.H. Lawrence was to sex. Hart added that a great fuss was being made over Raspel's supposed racism, but that the liberal wrote anathema on racism is in effect a poisonous assault upon Western self-preference. The book received a second life in 1983 when Cordelia Scaife May, heiress to the Mellon fortune and sister to right-wing benefactor Richard Mellon Scaife funded its Republican and republication and redistribution. This time it gained a cult following among immigration opponents. May's money has also been instrumental in funding the efforts of John Tanton, the godfather of the anti-immigration movement in the U.S. Tanton, who began as an environmentalist and population control proponent, founded a host of groups focusing on restricting immigration, including the Federation of American Immigration Reform, the Center to American Immigration Studies, Numbers USA, and U.S. English. May's fortune was, has fueled these groups with tens of thousands of dollars in contributions over the years. Okay. 
So he goes on to talk about how Bannon believes about it. Uh, This is what Bannon says about the novel. The refugee crisis didn't just happen by happenstance, Bannon said in April 2016 in a radio interview with Sebastian Gorka, who now works for the National Security Council. These are not war refugees. It's something much more insidious going on. Bannon has also echoed the, la- the, the novel's theory that secular liberals who favor immigration and diversity weaken the West. Do you believe the elites in this country have the backbone, have the belief in the underlying principles of the Judeo-Christian West to actually win this war, he asked Senator Jeff Sessions, now the Attorney General, in June 2016. I'm worried about that. They're eroding regularly, it seems to me, classical American values that are so critical to our success. Sessions replied, like Respel, Bannon has reveled in the past victories of Christendom over Islamic forces. If you look back at the long history of the Judeo-Christian West struggle against Islam, I believe that our forefathers kept their stance, and I think they did the right thing, he said in a 2014 speech broadcast to a conference at the Vatican. I think they kept it out of the world, whether it was at Vienna, the Battle of Vienna in 1683, or Tours, the Battle of Tours in 732, or other places. They were able to save this off, and they were able to defeat it, and they were able to bequeath to us a church and a civilization that really is the flower of mankind. Now Bannon sits at the right hand of the U.S. president, working to beat back what Bannon calls the Muslim invasion, and Trump is all in on the project. During the campaign, he called a ban on all Mus- called for a ban on all Muslims entering the country. His January 28th executive order, since blocked in the courts, turned this campaign idea into executive policy. Okay. That's a long article. That's a long article. Um, (laughs) First of all, was there some, like, historical reason why someone from France would be afraid of Indian immigrants? Or is this just like a, like, this guy was just, like, like, tripping out on a porch looking across the sea and... That's a good question. Um... I don't under I don't really know why India, especially why he would have chosen that, unless he didn't want to choose something that was more close to home. Uh, what would probably affect France more <laughs> and has affected France more would be immigration from. Algeria, Morocco, uh, Algeria, Morocco, right. Northern Africa. Okay, so second question. This is just a horrible fictional account of demonized peoples uh, coming and um, uh, taking over somebody's um religious idea of what the future of humanity is supposed to hold. I mean, this is all it to me. It's just, it's, it's so reminiscent of like, well, I mean, they compared it to Mein Kampf, you know, even in the article yeah. of, you know, uh, not, not necessarily racial superiority, but, um, religious, like, I don't know why we're fighting over this stuff. I, I, I really I, don't. I don't. I don't know why either side is fighting over it. I think that it's, it's holding up the progress of humanity as a whole from both sides, you know, from the Christian side and from the Muslim side. And I think most of the Christian leaders and most of the Muslim leaders agree with that. And there's this like ridiculous battle going on from, from like 
crazy, you know, um, like, uh, what do you call it? fundamentalist, like uh-huh. extremists. And it's horrible. It's standing in the way of everything. Like we have humanity has a great potential. We could, we could achieve amazing things if we just stop just bickering over stupid things. Yeah. Whose God is bigger. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, first of all, what it reminds me of is, uh, the Turner Diaries. Have you ever heard of the Turner Diaries? No. The Turner Diaries were, um, that was uh, Timothy McVeigh's favorite book. Mm. It was a book about the supposed, it was a book about the supposed um, rebels that were fighting the Zog, which stood for Zionist occupied government. And uh, there's some similarities between uh, Camp of the Saints and um, the Turner Diaries that I see, just from some, some thematic things. Not having read either one of them, I can't really tell you, but it seems like, from what I've heard described, um, that's what it seems like. Uh, the second thing is, is this whole idea of the clash of civilizations. In other words, it's the ultimate us versus them. It's the, It's the... Christian West, you can translate that as Judeo-Christian West. It's the Christians and the Jews against the Muslims. And in this case, specifically, the Muslim immigration. Uh, It's exactly what you just said. I mean, essentially, you know, us versus them. Uh, Our civilization is better than your civilization. Well, the other side says the same thing. So how are you going to get along with that. And, you know, in other words, the inevitable, the inevitable outcome of that is just going to be war. It's just going to be destructive war. Right. Which, okay. It's all well and good. If you want to hold those thoughts. I mean, if you really want to believe that your, your culture is superior to another, whatever. But when someone is in power and so close to the president that does believe these things, and it's not just Bannon, Oh, right. As you saw, I mean, it's, you know, Jeff Sessions too, you know, guys like him. And, and there's, there's so many others that, that believe this and they, they see, uh, the policy that they're coming up with in light of these books, these novels that they think have a bearing to reality. So they think because of what's going on with Syria right now, and this influx of Muslim immigration in, into Europe, that that means that th- what Raspel wrote about in 1975 is now coming true, except it's not Indians, it's Arabs. But whatever, you know, it right, doesn't right. matter to them. <clears throat> and, you know, I, t- I, I have to kind of, to a certain degree, you know, if you look at, like, Germany and some other places where there has been this giant influx of immigration, they they are dealing with a bunch of issues, which sure, you know, that's, that's also something that needs to be taken into account, but it's, it's, <sighs> these are cultural clashes though. It, it doesn't, it's not. Yeah. And it's the same. That's my, I guess my whole point is it, it's the same problem on either side it, is it's, it's this, Let's base everything we do politically off of our our religious ideals rather mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. thinking about what 
morally is right for other human beings and what's best progressively for the, the human race. And yeah. I'm not saying that, that, you know, they're innocent on their side either. It's just, yeah. Well, it's also this idea of the, the whole idea of Christendom as opposed to Christianity, as opposed to a belief of, well, you know, I feel, you know, Jesus came, he died for my sins and I'm a Christian because of it. Um, then you have this idea of Christendom, which is this organized state that supposedly is organized around the ideas of Christ, but really isn't. It's more organized in the idea of holy war and keeping the infidel and, and defending, quote unquote, defending the faith and going to war for the faith. Right. And seeing the other as, instead of, instead of seeing them as potential, you know, possible, um, Converts, like, you know, we have the Syrian refugees in this country, and we have a lot of people scared about it. And, you know, our good friend, Dr. Future, he's told me this before. He said, a lot of these, a lot of these people don't see, you know, that they're given to give an opportunity for these churches to be, to these people to come into their midst and to find Christianity and maybe turn to Christianity if they want to. Instead, we're reacting in fear and right. saying that, you know, these people are all going to kill us. So, they, you know, there are some churches out there uh, and, uh, that, are, that are like, that are really reaching out to these, to these refugee communities. But when you say stuff like this, it's like people will automatically will just say, oh, you're just a bleeding heart. You're just a liberal. You, you're not in reality, you know? So it's the reality <laughs> that they see. You know who the biggest bleeding heart liberal was? Jesus. Yeah, yeah, I agree. He was I mean, the 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 reality that they that they that they think and they perceive is just like it's, again, it's it's us versus them. They're they're coming over the gates. They're going to destroy our society. They're going to destroy our culture. The irony of it is is that we're talking about building the wall on the Mexican border, and these are fellow Christians. These are Catholics. <laughs> so it's just the same thing. It's just you know, it, it's just a justification to just be a racist and just to be a bigot. You know. That that's all it is, and you think that it's something deeper and meaningful, and it really isn't. Essentially, you know. Well, there's one more piece of news that I want to, you know, that I want to touch on here, and uh, this is this is big. Oh, this is bigger than Steve Bannon. Oh God! Which, by the way, there was a meme going around that said. And, and said, just to make you feel old, this is Rosemary's baby now, and it's got a picture of Steve Bannon. <laughs> <laughs> but here's a true Rosemary's baby. Uh, the truth behind that bizarre cash me outside Instagram hacking. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're following this story. I know. We're, we're, <laughs> I, and I know we were all on Facebook waiting for the big reveal, too, for this <laughs> crap. Well, this this actually is a conspiratorial territory because it's got it's got all the memes. Okay, it looks like the Illuminati isn't to blame after all for the om- ominous hacker-like videos that took over Daniel Bergoli's, aka the Cash Me Outside Meme Girl Instagram page. It was no conspiracy theory. Our Russian hackers. It was actually a well-formulated PR stunt for a music video that fooled the internet. Oh. The thirteen-year-old has been a topic of 
interest ever since her threatening remarks on Dr. Phil became a viral moment on the internet. And it looks like she's eager to continue taking over the web. Yesterday, her Instagram and Facebook pages appeared to be taken over by hackers that deemed the teenager no idol and no role model. The videos were threatening and unsettling, and her page also featured a triangle-like logo that many likened to the fabled Illuminati, inscribed with messages in Russian. But if you were to visit her page now, instead of mysterious characters, you'd see a link to a music video with an artist named Mook Boy, which Bergoli stars in, of course. Disclaimer. Nobody click that link. Do not support this. Do not (laughs) click the link. It will die if we ignore it. Hey, According go ahead. to an email from her team, she has a team. I know, she has a whole marketing team. Brigoli, a pop culture sensation. Jesus Christ. Linked up with Glassface, a visual artist, director, and editor who has previously worked on a number of music videos to give a commentary on the state of celebrity, current events, and speaks on hysteria, fake news, and conspiracy theories. And that she did. And they're calling it a top secret art experiment. I don't know if I'd call the video art, but you can check it out. No, don't check it out. Don't, don't check it out. Don't, don't click out. on the link. Don't check it out. See, this, this, okay, you want my conspiracy theory? You know, we talk about the book of Revelations and, you know, how the camp of the saints had something to do with the book of Revelations. Maybe she's the one riding the beast. Has anyone thought about that? <laughs> Facebook is the, the beast. Yeah, the beast with seven horns. <laughs> it's it's the cash me outside girl. You know, if you say her name one more time, I'm not going to be able to forget it, Adam. <laughs> I'll never forgive you. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, that's it. Um, I want to thank Chris Wolford for coming on. Next time, guys, we have on Zach Hunt. Um, he is a local Nashville blogger and uh, we're going to be talking to him a local about, boy. he has a blog that he used to call American Jesus but we're going to be kind of be touching on some of the same kind of themes that we talked about tonight uh, with about uh, Stephen Bannon and some of these some of these things I and mean, he's he's a Christian but he's definitely not for Trump so I want to kind of get his perspective on things and uh Guys, I want to thank you so much for listening. And Rob, tell everybody where they can uh, sign up for Patreon. Uh, you know, maybe give us a little bit of money and not the cash me outside girl. Yeah, if you want your money to go to a good cause, um, <laughs> we yeah, we we have started a Patreon community where um, we've got a few followers on there now, and they're getting bonus episodes every month and access to other content. We're going to start doing blog posts and a few other things. And to uh, to get to that, it's just patreon.com slash conspiranormal. There's various different tiers you can sign up for. The $5 tier is what we recommend because that's where the bonus episodes go to. And it will help me rebuild the ceiling in here, which is now devastated and completely <laughs> torn apart. And help us, comp- help us keep, keep you know, putting out these podcasts because it does cost us money. We put a lot into this stuff and you know, we just want to we want to give you something extra for contributing. The show is always going to stay free and as ad free as possible. So it's just a little extra. Yes, absolutely. And thanks to those of you out there who who are on our Patreon community. All two of you. Yes, both we, of you. We gained one. We gained one. Yep. Gained one. We love you guys. So thank you, Jeff N., for becoming a Patreon, whoever you are. All right, guys. Thank you so much. Maybe we can get the uh, Cash Me Outside girl to wear a Conspiranormal t-shirt. We can't afford we'll, that yet. Then we'll blow up. Yeah, we got to get with her team, right? Yeah. yeah. Our team has to get with her team. Yeah, we'll have our people contact her people. Absolutely. All right, guys, thank you so much, and we will be back next time on Conspiranormal! Conspiranormal.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.